Hello, you movers, you shakers, you visionary makers. I'm Sky Sheridan, and welcome to another episode of Under One Sky, where we see solutions, hear humanity, and feel the future, having life discussions that build better communities. So today, I'm super excited to have one of my friends and also a great genius mind on the show. Uh, his name is Paolo Nardi Fernandez, and he has had an incredible journey to get to where he is. He is an AI master. He's run his own um, consulting, sustainable consulting firm. So I'm really excited to have Paolo on the show today. So let's get right into it then. So, hey, Paolo, welcome to the show. <laughs> yes, guys, thank you for having me. It's Looking so forward for it. You definitely, I mean, not only are you a great speaker and you've done this so much, but you're just like such a fantastic personality with a great heart and obviously a genius mind. So we're so <laughs> lucky to have you on the program today. And um, I'm going to just fire off some rapid questions right away that we come from Discord, from our community at Discord. So for the listeners, in case you ever want to get part of the conversation, we've created a Discord community um, that will help guide some of these conversations about how to build better communities, which is what the show is all about. And what was your favorite toy as a child? I'd say that the GameCube was probably my favorite toy as a child. Uh, <laughs> I just like I was really thinking about it and I was like, what is the one toy that maybe got me in the most trouble? And I'd say that it was either the PlayStation 1 or the GameCube, because okay. when I was just playing those video games, like I just I could get lost in them. So yeah. I'd say that 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 was definitely uh, my favorite toy as a child. Yeah. Uh, what is your star sign? I am a Libra, quite a Ooh. big Libra. <laughs> <laughs> All about the balance, right? Um, did you know we have a full moon in Libra today, actually, speaking of your sign? Oh, well, would you look at that? Alignment. So get, get ready for the illumination, right? Um, what would you say that your superpower is? I'd say that it's my capacity to see to see through the darkness. Um, and, and to see the positives that come out of it. Um, I, I'd say that I'm a very resilient person and that I have a capacity to really take in a bad experience and transform it into the lessons that are meant for me to learn. Uh, so I kind of, for me, that has really helped me during my, uh, my journey. And I think that also comes with a lot of compassion and empathy, both for the situation, for myself, for the people involved, um, I just don't, I have a very difficult time jumping into judgments. I rather have a, 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 an objective understanding of the situation. And for me, the compassion of understanding that, you know what, when someone hurts us or something hurts us in our lives, there's so many nuances behind it that I can't, uh, believe everything that my mind is putting out to be. Uh, what is your hobby or creative outlet? Besides the Ooh. GameCube. <laughs> no, that, that's or, not really or, a creative outlet. That or, was just a or, outlet. Or running algorithms in your mind at night when you're sleeping. <laughs> well, this is, it's it's a difficult one because I, I've been thinking about this one. And, and for me, life is a constant creation, right? So the my creative outlets, it's like I'm always creating, whether that is through my work, whether that is through writing, whether that is through poetry, whether that is through, through music. For me, I try to understand what is the languages that I can use to express myself and the forms. So 
but I'd say that if if I'm feeling really stuck or, or or you know overwhelmed, what really helps me is dancing, dancing ecstatically, you know, just dancing, letting it out, moving the energy, and allow my body to express the things that I can't put into words. Um, for me, that's like the clearest form of creative output you could say, because the other ones are kind of part of a process, you know? Yeah. I love that too. I mean, we share that in common. One of these days, I can't wait to go to a dance with you and just like, let go. Oh so, yeah. It also is like, Malmo, yeah. <laughs> Malmo Sweden. I was just going to say in Malmo here in Malmo, we have a lot of cool, cool dances, ecstatic dances in the summer, good vibes, good people. Just, you know, you're welcome. Mi casa es tu casa. Uh, muchas gracias, hermano. <laughs> <laughs> We're a very international show. Um, I'm like, it's so crazy because, you know, we have such a global community in the Sky Farms community as we're merging to this Under One Sky brand. And it's so nuts. Uh, we have like somebody from Nigeria on the show. We've got like Lebanon. We've got China. It's so nuts. And now we've got Malmo. But this is a good segue into your background. You are kind of a man of the globe, right? I am, I am. <laughs> Can you share a little bit about your journey? Like, you know, where you came from, where you've been, how you got to Malmo? Uh, well, I was born in Guadalajara, Mexico. My mother is Mexican-Spanish. My father is Italian. So I kind of already have three different cultures and nationalities already embedded into, into my bloodstream. Um when I was 10 years old, I moved to Spain. So I kind of like from the age of 10 to the age of 14, I was hopping between Spain and Mexico. So it was like Mexico, Spain, Spain, Mexico, Mexico, Spain. Uh, what age was that? Like, can you give us? A I name? was I was 10. My God, 10 years old. And you were like hopping continents. Yes. Uh, and that was really the beginning of an experience of kind of uh, understanding what it's like to miss people what it means to lose people, to go to a completely new environment, uh, to adapt, to have to learn a new language. Because when I went to Spain, they also spoke Catalan there. Mm -hmm. So it was all very, very new. And it definitely taught me the, the fear of losing someone and also kind of like the impermeability of life. Like it really just changed, right? I was, of course, excited, but uh, I love my family a lot. And for me, I think that that really started a journey where it kind of separated me from my family from a like very young age. Mm -hmm. So I've always felt like very distanced from my family because of that. Right. Um, but nonetheless, it was a good experience, you know, kept going back and forth. Um, difficult years, I would say. Um, yeah, you're somebody who's like experienced, I think, like myself, uh, which I've already shared with the listeners in the, the first episode, um, a lot of trauma. You know, I think you've experienced a lot of trauma and obviously being away from your family at such a young age can create a lot of um, attachment issues, obviously, right? Abandonment issues, all those types of issues. Um, yes. I mean, you are the example of a human being who has had some real hardships um, and made them into, into gold. And, you know, so that's kind of an alchemical process that you have within your being. Well, it's a superpower, right? That's your superpower. <laughs> the transformation, the seeing the, the, the lessons. <laughs> I, you know, I was actually called that at my job the other day. So <laughs> I love that so much because it's so who you are. When you talk about attachment styles and on all these things, right? Like my father was also very absent. So even before moving 
like into Spain, there was already kind of that uh, imprint in me of what it was like to have uh, a close figure that is very important in our development, not necessarily be there. Um, so once I moved to Spain, it was like, I felt really, I felt really alone. I went, we went there with my mom's ex-boyfriend. So it was also someone that as a child that had a little bit of difficulties with, you know, jealousy, whatever. Um, totally. Good. And, and it's, it wasn't like those spirit of our lives were also the best. It's not like they had the healthiest relationship ever either. I mean, you know, moving back and forth can tell you a little bit about the relationship dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that was a constant state of ambivalence. There was a constant state of uncertainty. And I, I think from that moment on for like the next, I'd say, 14, 15 years of my life, that's kind of how I always felt. And I always lived in this state of like limbo of not fully feeling like, okay, where am I going to go next? Where am I going to stay? Can I truly set up my roots and, 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 and be in one place where my constant childhood has taught me that I'm going to move every two years, every five years. I, I think lots of uncertainty during those moments. Uh, not the, not the easiest time in my life. But it also, you know, it, it taught me a lot of things. It taught me about resilience, my adaptability, my capacity to make the most out of any situation. Uh, it really showed me that, you know, no matter where I went, I could still make friends. I could meet new people. There was nuances. There was new cultures. It allowed me to expand my, my mindset, to realize the commonality that we have across countries, across borders, um, which was something that, at that time, like I didn't realize what I was learning, right? But now where I look back, I, I, I can see those lessons and really value them because they've given me a, a truly global perspective. But in the back of my mind, there was still a sense of, but I can't do what they can. I'm not in the same uh, playing field. And it's yeah. not necessarily because of who I am as a person. I understood that at a very young age. It has nothing to do with um, with how I am. It has nothing to do with... Um, my inspirations, my hopes, my potential, my capacity, none of that. It's just this, um, there's already a prejudgment made on me that I can't control. It's completely out of my control. And it really made me wonder, I think that kind of was the the journey that started uh, my work in sustainability, because I kind of saw, okay, from a human rights perspective, this is not right, but also from a like overall perspective, why are we creating these limitations? I always saw the borders as as limitations because I've seen the diversity of the world already by that age. And I see the nuances, the good things in each of the different cultures. And I thought, well, wow, this could really be useful here. But we're not allowing ourselves to do that because we're so locked in into these beliefs, patriotism, et cetera, separateness. Separation. Yeah. Separation. Exactly. You know, that's, and I think that's a kind of what we're trying to bring up on this, uh, the community building experience is like, you know, what does it take to move from separateness to interconnection? How do we embrace diversity? You know, which you are, seem to be a, a, a very skilled at from your, from your background, just from living, you're like a child of, susta- <laughs> you're like a child of sustainability, right? You know, <laughs> I mean, you, you obviously went to school for it, but it's kind of probably the journey took you into that because of your experiences, obviously with, you know, experiencing kind of feeling excluded or marginalized, which I think so many good things can happen from the margins of life. You become an observer, right? I was marginalized as well. And you, 
really can see systemically the problems, right? Because you're part of them a bit. You were the one who pushed out or you're the minority. So you, you immediately see, okay, like what, how can this change? I'm not part of the system. So you can kind of see all of the dysfunction, right? Um, which is I really like that because what something that I realized later on in my life was that, you know, say the, the threshold for life is here, right? I feel like I was always here. I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm not in the same lab, lab, like playing field. So for me, this was darkness, right? Yeah, yeah. There was darkness. There was desperation. There was separation. There was all these things. But through my life and through my journey, then I was able to move myself out of it. It wasn't necessarily a movement like this. It was more like this, Ooh, right? Where suddenly I, I shift. There was a perspective shift that I realized like, oh, now I'm in the Levin field, but I can also have this perspective. I can see it from above. So I graduated high school. I worked for a year. I'm working like I'm, I'm working 16 hours a day, sometimes saving money for college. I've done it all. Played in private airplanes. Uh, working as a Hustle yeah, like work. an entrepreneur. I mean, that's how you became an entrepreneur because you were like, I got the hustle backbone. I got the DNA for hustle. It's all good. <laughs> yes, I, I, I can I can work and I, and, and, and I know that. Um, so once that's done, then, OK, the Dreamers Act comes. Right. Ooh. And this is the Obama legislation that for kids like myself that were brought into the U.S. by their parents for studying, et cetera. They're now given a possibility to apply for residency. Great. I'm waiting for the requirements for that whole year to come out. You know, like what are the requirements for someone to be able to be in the program? Bureaucracy. Yes. <laughs> and, and the requirements was that you needed to arrive uh, prior to, to January 1st, 2010 to the U.S. Mm -hmm. And I arrived to the U.S. January 10th. 2010. No, um, so nine days, nine days, uh, and nine days is interesting because nine is a very powerful number, as you uh, may three, already three, know. Three, six, nine, all about testing. Yes, don't you? Don't exactly. You <laughs> uh -huh. This was very confusing for me because a part of me did feel American. I was very proud to, to live in America for such a long time. I felt connected to the culture. I felt connected to the people. I had friends there. I had people that cared for me. I had people that saw me for who I am and didn't judge me based on my migrant status. And that's what no. I think we're, we're, we're tired of dealing with in this um, evolution of empathetic civilization, moving towards more empathy as, as humans and communities, rather than like, my nation is at war with your nation, especially with this Russia-Ukraine thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, obviously, there's good Russians who are standing up to their government and would take Ukrainian people in and, and shelter them and help them. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's what I'm hearing right now is what you're saying, you know, 100%, 100%. And the thing about the news and, and when we hear about these stories of war and all these things is it's just, it's the extremes, right? It is the extremes of power that are playing the power dynamics and you don't really get to see the generalization or the people in the ground and the oh. people in the ground, the common people, the common folks, you and I, everyone else that I've met during my life, I could always yeah. connect with them in some level, yeah. no matter what. And that's what's um, missing from that January 1st, January 10th conversation you're talking about right now. There's there's a humanness that's missing within the bureaucracy, right? When oh, call, yes. When you call like a, I don't know, like an airline or a bank or whatever, and you've missed that deadline by like, you know, one day or two days. I'm always the first person to talk to the person on the other line and say, you know, what's missing here is like, I'm a human and you're a human. 
where's the leeway for that? I missed this date by like nine days, you know? Isn't there room for us to be human beings, right? Um, and I guess the fear is that you, people would take advantage of that if we were to be more open because there is, of course, the rules and regulations and it's like, but come on, nine days, like they should be able to make an exception, right? A human to a human should be able to talk to each other and say, okay, this is the rule for sure. We cut off on January 1st, but you're the exception and we can see you're not trying to take advantage of this and we can see your life will be impacted greatly by nine days, your whole life impacted by just nine days missing this, you know? that's what's missing, I think. In, in, in I, I, I agree. And I mean, it, bureaucracy is something that I also then faced in, in, in Sweden, right? Because, mm. because of those nine days and because of that in, in inflexibility mm. and lack of, lack of humanity that, or lack of hum, true human values incorporated into the systems, right? Yeah. Um, so fast forward really quickly to you, you were in America, you didn't, you, did you be part of the Dreamers Act or no? Did you get no, it? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. So you, you ended up leaving then, right? At some point. Yes. I ended up uh, applying for universities. So I applied okay. for universities here in Sweden and I ended Why up Sweden? getting- Why Sweden? Free university. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> Europe, right? Socialism. Yeah. <laughs> I came to Sweden and, you know, I'm half Italian. I have a EU citizenship. I come and I'm I'm so excited at the moment in my life. I'm like, yes, finally, I'm going to be a resident. Finally, I'm going to be able to get a, a bank card, a, a, a license. I'm going to be able to have a, a normal life, you could say. Um, and unfortunately, because of the bureaucracy and uh, the, I'd say the incapacity of the systems to, to adapt to the global changes that we've seen in the world, I was put into what I would say is called like a structural hole. Uh, I thought, well, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, it's just three and a half years. I'll study. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll find ways. Um, I'll ask my, my, my family for money helping me financially during other years of my college. It'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. You're speaking to a lot of people who have fallen through the cracks, I think, you know. I think that's uh, so many people. I mean, I, I'm a UK citizen as well, right? A US and UK citizen. I don't know if you knew that or not, but um, yeah, the same thing happened during Brexit too. I was working in Germany and trying to figure out, you know, how to become a, a citizen after the Brexit. That's why I ended up in Amsterdam actually because they offer residency here um, so easily. But, you know, for people where it's not so easy and, and they can't check all the boxes, then what, you know, there's like, it's the same thing with the whole economic game too. It's like, if you don't check all the boxes and you don't play by the rules, there's no plan B. There's no other system for people to go to, which I think is the, the, the thing that we all have to address here is that, you know, you shouldn't be impoverished and like in, in some limbo state as a human being, that's not healthy for you at all. It's not healthy for society either to have someone like you just like floating out there. Cause you know, thank God you didn't result to like crime or you know, you do something really crazy or go insane because you're just like so upset with your life. It's devastating to the human soul to be lost it in is. the cracks. And that's, it I don't is. think we should build a society or a community that allows people to, to fall through the cracks. I think it's just like, this is a major, major problem that you've lived. But I think that also that's a solution. You've, you found solutions. This is kind of like you're the backbone of who you are, Paolo. You really have like a, a solutions oriented mind you know that so thanks for being so vulnerable and sharing this kind of stuff it's really important of course it, it really changed my life because it, it allowed me to tap into my sense of unbelonging but it also allowed me to see that my belonging does not come 
from the government. It does not come from these uh, big uh, hierarchical structures that seem to have so much power in our lives. My power actually comes from my actions and the people close to me that have gotten the time to know me and love me because I have a pool of those. So I'm I'm just going to kind of switch topics here real quick so we can kind of fast forward to where you are now and speak a little bit about your work. Um, which I think uh, will go in, in this episode is, is all about disruptive innovation, which is what you really are on the forefront of right now. I mean, you're doing AI, you know, you, you've got computer science and engineering in your, in your blood. Um, and I think a lot of what you're sharing with us right now, deeply in your heart, this, this um, struggle that you had or suffering that you've gone through, I think is like why you're disrupting, right? Because you were like a product of what this system does to people and it's so inhumane that they're, and then of course the technology side, I'm really eager to hear about like why you, cause you're such a heart, like, I think you're like the perfect mixture between like spirit and tech. Cause you really are like a, sh- you're like a shaman. You're like a tech, a tech, a tech shaman. Can we call you that? Can I just hashtag, <laughs> hashtag tech shaman? <laughs> gonna be like the next Elon Musk, but like, with heart, you know, um, so tell me a little bit about like, okay, so you started getting into computer science and engineering while you were at school in Sweden mm-hmm. or, and, and which I hated, by the way, I really? hate it. Okay. I, uh, I, I did computer science and engineering because my cousins did that. And, okay. uh, it, it was like, so I also had to transform a lot of things there, but I always, I was always very curious about technology. And I mean, I grew up playing video games. I grew back up playing the, like, back to the game. You know, exactly. Yeah, it, but it, it's really like the not not even the GameCube, like even PlayStation, like playing online, making communities online. Like my my for, like during those times in the US, one of the things that pushed me through was having online communities because it was like I it didn't matter who I was. I was in this online community. I could be whoever I wanted to be. I am a product. I am a product of, of, of these new innovations and technologies. And I've seen the way that they have changed, the way that they've transformed. And I also have a potential to see how they are going to keep evolving. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like, wow, we can do something so much different with this. So after I graduated from my computer science and engineering background, I went to go study leadership for sustainability, where I learned about leadership styles, leadership theory, organizational theory, systems thinking, social innovation, social entrepreneurship project management, you know, all of these things. And I wrote my thesis on AI for sustainability, exploring, first of all, how can artificial intelligence and these new disruptive technologies can help us create new systems and and solutions to mitigate mitigate or adapt to to climate change, Mm -hmm. but also what are the values that are stopping us from truly utilizing this technology in a good way? Yeah, because right. it can it can change everything like but as tool. long yeah like it's a, a spoon, tool a spoon can be a weapon or a or a you know something that helps you eat right so um and you call yourself an ai change agent i love yes. that that sounds very like uh you know neo in the matrix or something so i'm so i'm so into this term ai change agent because obviously there are two sides of the coin to every technological advancement a lot of people are really nervous and scared and turned off by artificial intelligence um, I mean, artificial intelligence is in, in a sense, it, tell me if I'm wrong here, it's just like a, a summation of our collective intelligence in a way, right? We're dumping all of our collective intelligence into a machine that begins to learn and, and study, right? Machine learning, I think is the, there's a distinction, correct, Paolo, between machine yes. learning and artificial intelligence. Why don't you talk on well, that? Well, uh, 
artificial intelligence is like the the big uh, umbrella, you could say. And there's different things there, like statistical analysis, machine learning, deep learning. But essentially, it's in a way of recreating um, intelligence in a in an informational or technological field. You would you, you could say. And it's also important to say that right now, AI is not super advanced. It can generalize like we can as human beings, but it's amazing at being able to have to do pattern recognition and do rudimentary tasks. So for example, anything from learning how to play a game, learning how to recognize images, learning how to drive a car. These are, these are things that you can train a machine learning to do. Learning how to think creatively or connect ideas, not so good at the moment. Learning how to learn something completely new on its own can do at the moment because you have to give it a certain you have to essentially set up the the field for the machine to learn mm -hmm. so you need to set up the data you need to do all these things that say okay what would require the machine to be able to learn how to do this task right. so there's a there's a different layer of abstraction that machines at this moment and i'm not sure for how long uh, or until when they will be able to to do yeah. themselves if ever like you mentioned a little bit of like whether machines can write their own programs. And it, it's not fully that the machines are writing their own programs. It's more than anything that the machines are seeing a lot of examples of how humans write programs based on a certain uh, set of uh, algorithms or principles, thinking principles around it, right? That says, okay, if I want to perform this, uh, this algorithm or this task in this language, this is what it looks like. So then based on that, it's able to generate code based on previous examples. But without the human, it's, it, it, it can't possibly do it. It doesn't have that capacity to, to create without previous data. And it's always right. prone to error. And most importantly, a lot of it is a black box right now. We actually yeah. don't know what the hell is going on and how it's making those decisions, which is, yeah. which is scary. It's scary, but I think people are addressing it. I mean, I've read a lot of things yes. about AI ethics, of course, like, and of course, there's a ton of people who are in the minority uh, world who are really concerned about being profiled, of course, for crimes. They're not, which just happened. Time. It's yes. happening all the time with facial recognition and stuff. So those things to be really concerned about, of course. Um, have you heard of the Center for Humane Technology? I um, they had a Netflix show uh, and um, talking about basically social media, but they talk about AI as well because obviously AI is our machine learning is super essential when it comes to like you know pushing how much time you're on a social platform or looking at anything and studying what your behavior is. I mean, my biggest concern is that like AI will know us better than we'll know ourselves, but my hope is that AI will teach us how to know ourselves better than we know ourselves now in order to achieve our full capacity, right? That would be the, and- It's the two sides of the coin. It's two sides of the coin. It's two sides AI, of the coin. And maybe AI could actually help guide us towards, a, um, you know, they would see the, 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 the structure better than we would and be like, okay, these are the drivers of your behavior. This, this is the, the, the solution to carbon capture. Do it now. Here's the plan. Here's the budget. I mean, they might, the AI could probably guide us very quickly in an accelerated process to achieve ability, right? Um, can you speak a little bit about, so was, was Futurely, because you started your own um, consulting uh, company for sustainability, um, and does that also encapsulate AI or is that a completely different thing? And maybe you can speak a little bit about Futurely because that's kind of how we connected. I was mm -hmm. so drawn, drawn to your, um, your ideas through Futurely. So 
for me, I'd say that Futurely more or less started as, um, well, first of all, it started from a, a need or a want to, to, to be like, um, where I observe that a lot of the ways in which we approach sustainability is not really holistic. There's so many uh, tools out there for carbon emission footprints, et cetera. But ultimately at the core, to truly make system level changes, you have to address the mindset around business. You have to address the values. You have to really go down into the mental models of why we're doing business, how we're doing business, and understand also what are the trends and the people and the things that people want in the future. So futurely means in time to come, right? So for us, it's like, this is the future. The future of organizations for them to be resilient and for them to be able to thrive in the future, they will be required to have all these different, what we call conscious um, business principles and conscious business models, right? You need these sort of co collective shared principles as well that say, okay, you know, this is, these are the global challenges that we have. These are the things that we need to do. And we will use our business as a medium to be able to, to facilitate these processes. So it really comes back to the core of like, why are you a business? Why are you uh, developing these products? Is it just for the sake of profit growth? Then look somewhere else because that's not really where we're heading. We, we're and, heading more, yeah. And can business be used as a force for good, right? Because exactly. Could, could you make products that actually um, elevate humanity and also heal the planet at the same time? Is it possible? That's the kind of like sort of, seed that I like to plant in every business person's mind. It's like, yes. And 100% it is. It, it, 100%. Totally. It, it turns it, out it to is. be that you can actually, you can actually do this, you know? And ultimately the successful businesses are the ones that are creating a value to our lives are the ones that we see. Okay. Yes. Because money, for example, for me, the way that I view money now is value created times the people that you touch. So if you're creating value to people and you're creating value to the environment and you're creating value to all these things and you're solving real challenges, but also reflecting on, on, on the needs of the world, listening to them and using your business, using the skills that you have, because it's also like a community. A business is a community. You're a community. Yeah. You're a team coming together to build something and create a solution in the world. And the compensation or the reward system there is just money. That's literally just how you're exchanging that, which then allows you to make, to put more resources into the work that you want to do and into the solutions that you want to do. Yeah. So yeah. no problem with that at all. But what are the principles around your business? Why are you doing the things that you do? How are you making decisions? You know? Well, that goes back to value too. I think that like my biggest concern with money and profit-driven business is that I always say like, you know, what's the value if I'm paying, you know, 400 euros or 700 euros for a shirt um, that was made by like Ralph Lauren, for instance, and made by like children in China where they're, they cost them like five, five euros to make this shirt and they're selling it for 700. I mean, can human beings not understand the value problem there? Like that is a completely like energetic. Well, that's just branding. It's just, you're paying for the brand. But that's yes. the thing it goes back down to is like, where's the value? Can we like start to, as human beings, understand everything that we get, everything that we buy, what value does it have, you know? And is mm -hmm. the value reflected in the price? And do our values also reflect that this product could possibly damage the environment or heal the environment or damage mm -hmm. human beings or bring human beings together, you know? And I think that the biggest thing that's missing, and maybe you can confirm this, is like in technology or even in a sustainability is we do lack a collective will or a collective shared input 
because it just seems like the top players are you know the facebooks and the and the google like sort of deep think you know there's just a small amount of people who are using these these you know programs to to affect all of our lives and to basically build this new reality and yet they're missing this whole collective intelligence of like all the human beings who are getting into this product right like we don't get any say at all we just sort of adapt and use and then move on um yeah so i i i i love i love that because uh you're tapping into a project that i'm working on now called world vision day actually uh which is Tell just us about uh, it. <laughs> it's just uh it, it's a project to mitigate uh, just that because that is something that I, I i've seen during my thesis i mean when i wrote my thesis on ai for sustainability one of the things that i saw is look there's such a small group of people that first of all know how to use this technology that have access to it because the thing also it's about data right so who has access to the correct data to be able to create the solutions not so many and it's is the like data, data no, but they, I mean, you know. there could also there, there's ethical aspects of it, but it's also like data is like oil. It's become privatized now, which stops the, the innovation and growth around it. But also the important thing for me was like, look, we have this whole new tool to be able to create a whole new world, mitigate our, our climate issues. Like they, there is so much potential here. But what's the vision? Like if I look 20 or 30 years ahead, what is the vision? What is a vision of the future? Not, not sustainable development goals. That's not a vision. That's not a narrative. It's not a story. It's just a set of goals that are different for each country. There's multiple interpretations. Mm -hmm. What's the vision? What's the narrative? What do we want to create? Do we even have a capacity to imagine better worlds? Like we have something called the social imagination crisis right now. Like it's difficult for us to imagine a better world out there. But why? Because we're constantly fed the narrative of, you know, climate dune, social injustice, everything is bad because that's how the news make their, their shitload of money. Everything is bad. Everything is bad. Okay. Well, everything is bad. Everything is going to go to shit. Yeah. No, we're human beings. We, we have it. the potential. Right. You know, yes. you can't have capitalism without disaster. Actually, that's the weird thing that, I mean, you can't have capitalism without scarcity and and division basically or crisis right yes and, and that to me is like my mind was blown when i started to figure this out i was thinking oh my gosh we definitely need to change to a different economic model because if that's the model we're doomed for sure we're, we're completely doomed we're, we're 100 doomed but it's also like we also need a new a new democratic system it's not only an economic system True. we also need to to have a, a new way of communicating with each other we need to shift the the power balances. We need to realize that we cannot put so much power in the shoulder of one nation or one man. It is impossible. This yeah. needs to be a collective effort. And for that, that means that we actually need to include the people that we haven't heard from. We need to learn how to communicate with each other. We need to learn how to appreciate our differences and diversity and work through it. But we also need to learn to understand what is the collective will of the planet. So we are engaging all these different communities from all these different age groups and just hear what they have to say. What do you want to have? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? And hear those things, give them a possibility to collect those voices. And then with the help of AI, we want to extract the themes, the, sent the sentiment. You know, what is it that people want? What, what, what do we have here? So it's bringing people together it's for them to be able to see what each and one of them want. And, and can create a space where that is happening so that then from there we can broadcast it to the world. Mm. Then also we can start to reshape our future through that. 
it's fantastic. I can't wait to see more about it. Thanks for sharing that. Amazing. Um, speaking of, now I want to hear a little bit more about your work. Um, I've been part of sacred masculinity for quite some time in my life. You seem to be pioneering a lot of that in your personal side side work, right? I mean, obviously you're sort of spiritual, not sort of, you are spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're sort of, t- sure. <laughs> I'm sort of spiritual as well. Um, I like do meditation before I even get on a podcast, actually. I sit there and I like- I, I did the same thing. <laughs> I, I, I breathe in and my intention is like, let the divine just move my voice and, and my connection with this person so that we can say the right thing in the right way. Uh, Mm. to the right ears that are willing to listen so i love that about you and that's something that really connected us too i think the the sacred masculine work that you've done you created a group um why don't you speak about that a little bit and why that's so important to humanity and to yourself i think sacred masculine masculinity and it's on its core for me the thing that has driving driven my work there is really try to understand me as as a man i think we have a lot of uh negative uh, identities or, or, or perceptions of what a man is like and what they should be like. So for me, I really tried to understand like, what is the core of a man? Like uh, in, in this incarnation, I am a masculine body. I have a masculine body, right? I am perceived in a certain way, but what, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to have a lingam? What does it mean to, to, to have this physically strong, uh, strong body what does it mean like to be a man because i never really had a a super positive masculine role model in my life so for me that kind of implant of a divine masculine was not fully there until i then started to get to know my community here in sweden and i started to find men that really more or less embodied the qualities that i was looking for in a man or in a father figure or that I wanted to embody for myself. So that that kind of started that journey and it kind of started a journey of, okay, what is the difference between being a boy or being a kid and being a man? And what are the steps that I need to do along that way? Yeah. And I think it's that, so Im- crucial to what the work you're doing and to the, the, the sustainable solution is really rooted in this topic so that's why i brought it up i brought it up because it does have to do with this accelerating innovation because i do believe that if we're going to innovate and going to become sustainable a lot of it's going to take it's not it's a crisis of not climate it's not a crisis of leadership it's not a crisis of government or corporations i think it's a crisis of human consciousness right and that's what we're kind yes. of trying to figure out in this show to build a better community or to innovate um, or to come together as a collective we can't do that until we sort of solve this patriarchal puzzle piece right the patriarch has been in charge for a long time and the patriarch has been informed the masculine has been informed to behave in a way that's domineering competitive um which are all shadows of the masculine they're all, shadows, all shadows of the divine masculine yeah. yes o- ownership right the whole model of ownership the slavery the i own land i own people uh, i own a woman uh these are all coming from like this patriarchal mindset so i think addressing this is so cool as a way of innovating, right? As a way, because men are in charge still, clearly across the planet in many ways. Thank God the, you know, the feminine is coming up. And mm-hmm. I even hear a lot of the, the women, I was even just reading on Instagram the other day, um, this woman was like, yeah, the, the men, the men be evolving. 
but they still have a long way to go. And I love it that the women are sort of, they're, they're giving us credit. You know, they're like, Hey, yes. the men are, their men are kind of getting themselves together. They're becoming more emotional. They're letting us, um, you know, have more inclusivity and stuff. Yeah. There is a real fear within the male species, of course, of the feminine. I think of becoming. Oh, feminine, definitely. Right. Like showing their feminine but, self. <laughs> but it's also like, I think like the feminine is that pure rawness of life. You know, it, it, it's, it's the, the force of transformation. It, it's, it's, it, it rips you apart. It transforms you. It's that force. The masculine is the container. It's the awareness. So, of course, like to the ego, that's terrifying. And with a yeah. patriarchal view, it's the ego is the one that yeah. is driving the seat. It's not an yeah. ecological perspective. It's an egocentric perspective that it's all about me, my needs, my blah, 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 mm. blah, blah. But it comes from a fear of being vulnerable, of expressing one's own needs. It's all shadow, 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 shadow. Yeah. And imagine innovating from that place. Imagine that we've been innovating from a place of container of ego. We've been innovating from a place of, you know, pure drive, no, uh, no regard for, for uh, humanity, like putting human beings at the center of things. No, it's just that like the container of the man progress. And then, you know, of course, destroying trees and destroying nature. And imagine what it would look like if we innovated from the, the divine feminine. What a, I mean, my God, we go from linear to circular, right? There's that, there's that whole, I mean, cause the male is like you said, the, the lingus, it's a, it's, a, it's a linear process. I mean, look at the way we design our skyscrapers, our plane, everything is phallic. It's all based off the phallus. Or, 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 or the, the billionaires that we look up to that are just uh, building the big rockets to build their egos. I mean, you know? it's crazy. <laughs> you know? and, then, and then you look at like, if you, we talked about aliens on, on episode two, actually, which was great. And we, we, did, and we talked about this a little bit because like everything about the, the male design is all about penetration, right? Mm. Penetrating the atmosphere, getting through, breaking through, which is awesome for progress in many ways. But look at the aliens. A lot of their ships that you, that you see in these like you UFO videos from the Air Force and stuff, they're all circular shaped, right? They all actually harness, uh, apparently they harness the energy around them and yes. work with the energy around. They don't have to penetrate anything. And that's the divine feminine. The divine feminine, you know, works with life. It's like, let me take a tree and make it a forest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the truth is that right now at this moment, we have the capacity and the space to create consciously what we want. We don't have to forecast. We don't have to foresight. We can understand and see what is in this moment that we have. What are the technologies? What are the tools? What are the, the needs? What are the challenges that we, that we have? And we can penetrate those with our awareness, encapsulate them with the love and nurture and energy of life and allow for the inspiration to come through to be able to manifest to truly consciously manifest what we want to create. Mm. So it requires both. It requires both and we need to work with them. The question is, do we work with the technology, both internal and external, in a conscious way to ensure that what we are creating is for the benefit, not only of us, but the planet and everyone, which will make us happier, which will make us more aligned, which will create prosperity, which will help us live it's truly wonderful life. Like this is a potential. That's collective intelligence for you. It's right collective. You know? Yes. It's that actually we are, I think that's the big spiritual journey too, is moving from separateness to interconnection where you realize like, I have an idea, it's unique. And then you realize, no, I met 20 other people who have the same idea. We should probably, instead of competing against each other, like make this idea come about in the super organism that we are all together. 
to serve the whole, right? Rather than to serve the individual. Mm -hmm. um, and so I love what you're saying about that because it is so true. It's like you do kind of, you tap into the zero point energy field. You realize it's all there. I mean, it's all, there. I mean, how many science fiction stories talked about tablets and touchscreens since the fifties? I mean, Philip K. Dick, uh, Nikola Oxford, Tesla, Nikola Tesla. I mean, these ideas existed as a collective actually, but they were so individually telling their stories. And then like, so we all got on board at a collective and now we're touching screens. So it's, it's, but it the thing is like, there's the quantum field, right? And in the quantum field, this is, there's information. We can't see the information because we haven't trained our senses mm -hmm. to go there. Our technology, our physical technology, spiritual technology, whatever, it hasn't come to that point of evolution where we can go into those states but they're there any yogi will be able there's, to tell you that there's, breath, any, there's medicines as well right psilocybin of course there's like many there's, yes medicines that have helped human beings do that for many a times we talked about that in the program last time with jc um yeah we have all the things that we need we i love that you're talking about biology as technology because we are the original technology actually we are all yes of these, all of technology is an extension the same way your glasses you're wearing right now that are beautiful on you by the way I are just they're not your eyes they're an extension of your eyes they help you see better right but they're not your eyes so i no. think that's what we have to realize is technology is just an extension of of us and we need to get ourselves right in order to make the technology work um, <laughs> um i do want to ask you one last question though um I'd like you to leave our listeners and our community and thank you so much for being here today and being part of our community for so long. You've done tremendous work in the world and, and also in my own life. I'm so influenced and inspired by you. And I likewise everybody <laughs> who's listening to this right now to get on the Paolo train and ride that express train as far as you can take it. Um, but what would you like to, <laughs> but would you like to leave, um, leave us with before we end, like one thing that you think that builds better communities um, whether it's in your own community that you've already seen an example of, or just the communities at large out there that are trying to become better. Vulnerability. Mind and blown. <laughs> like it, it, it's, it, it's, it's really that because when we are vulnerable, we are allowing someone else to come into our space. We're allowing them to see us, but we're also giving ourselves the same opportunity to see ourselves in a deeper way. And with vulnerability also comes accountability and responsibility. And, and through that, we can have these new conversations where we are not looking to protect ourselves because we've already acknowledged our need to, to, to be interdependent and our need to be supported and, and heard by another person. We can't connect unless we're vulnerable and authentic. So thank you for that, Paolo. Let's do you know, it. Let's, let's do it. Let's yes. be vulnerable together, Paolo. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining, joining us today, Paula. I really appreciate it. And to all the listeners out there, don't forget to subscribe. There's all the links in the in the channel here that you can subscribe, like, you know, um, be part of our Discord group if you'd like to and join the conversation. Also check out Paolo's work so you can get inspired as much as I am today. And once again, onwards and upwards, people. We're moving in the right direction, building greater communities. Thanks so much for joining us, Paolo. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sky. Mm -hmm.